Go ahead. Yeah. Another Natty Poe pick for you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she, she plays a good woman. Um, <laughs> I, that was a weird thing to say. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Uh, San Diego is your home, Keith Foster. You're Cassidy Robinson. Uh, you are in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're not going to be reviewing a weekly film. It's going to be a bit more of an evergreen episode, hopefully. Um, we're going to be continuing what we did last uh, last October when we went through all the different decades, the 70s through the early 2000s, and we drafted our favorite horror films from those decades. This week, we're going to finish that off uh, doing a horror movie draft of 2010, or sorry, uh, yes. Yeah, what decade are we in? Through 2010 now. through 2019, or to the end of 2019. Um, up through, uh, you know, unfortunately there are a few somewhat exciting looking horror movies that are coming out in the next couple months. Um, namely Robert Eggers, uh, The Lighthouse, which I'm really excited to see. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, for that. So that won't be able to be included because we haven't seen it yet. But I will say of all of these that I've, you know, lists compiling and stuff, this has been the, by far the largest list I have compiled And I'm sure that's because, you know, this is the decade that I've been reviewing movies, so I've been seeing a lot more Mm. and, uh, you know, seeing a lot more in theater. So I have kind of more, like, specific memories of the movies I've been seeing. Yeah, that's Um, fair. But it's a a wild decade, and it'll be fun to talk about this. But we, we do got some other things on the docket, but I had to bring this up at the beginning of the episode because... I saw something on Twitter that really disturbed me, and I need your opinion on it. Okay, you're shifting gears on me here. Uh, Lindsay Ellis, popular YouTube uh, personality, she does a lot of like film essays, and uh, people are probably familiar with like she does a lot of stuff on Disney and that kind of stuff, and she talks a lot about like tropes and and uh, compares you know the originals to remakes and things like that. They're usually kind of funny videos. Um, she put a poll on Twitter asking her Twitter followers, when Belle has sex with the Beast in Beast mode, is it bestiality, yes or no? Uh, yes. Yeah, clearly, obviously. But you wouldn't... Uh, where would you think that that poll would land? Um, How would that break down? Well, okay. Uh, now, well, I, I feel like the... <laughs> <laughs> now you're doubting yourself. Yes. I'm not asking for qualifiers. I'm just asking you, in a general poll of somebody who has a lot of Twitter followers, what would you think the breakdown of that would be in numbers? Yes Uh, or no? I'm going to say 60-40. 
it's closer to 50 50 yeah that's i mean that you're shocked by this but i'm not it's the internet and i don't think a lot of people are putting a lot of thought into the poll it's just like either ew gross he's uh a beast or oh i bet he thick like <laughs> i just i i don't think that people are really thinking about the ramifications of it um i don't know it's all i guess the, you could pose the same question of like if when captain kirk bangs the green aliens which he canonically has done um oh, yes. whereas the bell thing is like you know it's we're reading into things a little bit um <laughs> kirk has laid aliens uh is mm-hmm. that bestiality it's definitely like interspeciation yeah is that bestiality? Because I think this is the same as that. Like okay. it's it, okay. So like one of the one of the many problems with bestiality, right, is that animals can't really consent in a way that a human can. Right. But and this in, was the it, argument that was happening on Twitter underneath the poll. Like I scrolled through. And overwhelmingly, the people who bothered to comment were pro-fucking the beast. Well, sure. And yeah. and they, uh, the, the, the argument of consent was what it always came back to. It was like, well, animals can't consent. The beast can. Blah, blah, I mean, blah. I think... I, I mean, I think it's interesting that that's like the... That's the go-to of the argument. I think... Whether and because my my rebut to that as a uh, oh that's not the only is bestiality yeah if your dog it becomes sentient one day and can have full conversations with you a la Brian from from uh, Family Guy is does it cease to be bestiality or is it just consensual bestiality? Well, again, I think the internet would agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I yeah I. <sighs> I think that it... Well, this is how I pose a question to my roommate, um, and I'll pose it to you, because she she brought up the, you know, somewhat valid point that, you know, he used to be a man, and then he was cursed to become a beast, so there is a human in there. Yeah, that's not Um, somewhat valid. I think that's a huge part of the equation here. So, if your wife, Ashley, uh, was cursed by Uh a, a witch, and she became a Doberman Pinscher... It doesn't but that's cease to be but that's bestiality, that's like, and you can talk to her and everything. But and so that's there's, like there's full consent. blown animalia, though. Like that's that's full <laughs> anamorphing. Whereas the beast is like he's not an actual species of animal. He is he is like a, a he's a beast. Yeah, he's right? like half wolf, half bear, half boar. But half- he's still pretty anthropomorphic you know he still got has a bait depending on the interpretation he still has okay a- interpretation does matter because i think if we're talking about like ron perlman beast who just has a weird face go yeah. for it i mean that's like two seconds away from having sex with james hatfield in the 80s exactly but- i i think it it depends on the context i don't think it's but inherent- the cartoon beast which i think most people are considering is no way, shape, or form a human. Even his face is much more animal. But that okay, but that's a cartoon. That's a cartoon beast. We have seen the interpretation of that beast in live action, and he airs more on the human side. I that is okay. But here's the thing: I that beast from the live action Disney remake, you know, 
besides being I, hideously uncanny valley, um, is not that similar to the drawings from the cartoon, which has him like towering over Bell and it's, it's like you know similar. this massive bulk of fur. It's pretty similar. I'm gonna say no. It is not. I'm I'm changing my answer. You're, ch- I, you're I think flipping. It's, I think it's now that we've talked it through. Now that we've talked it out. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's bestiality because it is not the same as having sex with an animal. It is. It is a human person. It, he is transpecial. Is a human <laughs> man in a, a buffalo body. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's not. The same as as having sex with an animal. You're still having sex with. I a think human. the moral question changes for sure, but I think the you know the bare definitional uh, uh, question. I mean, he's literally a change. beast. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they joke about it. Uh, well, uh, my roommate said that there was a joke in the live action about like something about um, Bell making a joke about a uh, maybe you need to grow a beard or something like that. Yeah, I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with it. There's, there's nothing. Yeah, it's fine. It's okay. like I said, it's the same as Kirk having sex with a green alien. On it's, the record, Keith is a monster fucker. No, Belle is. I'm just not <laughs> going to judge her decision to fuck a monster. <laughs> Keith is a monster fucker ally. Yes, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Glad <laughs> that's on the table now. Um. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get into this horror movie draft. And uh, like I said, this is we're each going to pick five films until we reach a list of ten. And we don't know which films we're going to pick. We'll go back and forth until we have a list of ten. And then after that, of course, we'll oh, talk about oh, so the movies. It's, it's ten total movies, not ten each. Yes, ten total, five uh, each. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then after after we do that, we can talk about what didn't make it on the list. But... I wanted to talk a little bit at the front about about the 2010s and what that means for horror. Um, you know, we try and like to contextualize this a little bit. And when I was putting together the list, I was sort of under the impression that like the 2010s for me was all about the rise of like the indie horror and or and or like quote unquote art house horror because those are a lot of the movies that I remember really sticking out for me. But when I was putting together the list, I saw a lot more variety than that. And I saw, you know, obviously Bloomhouse has blown up in yeah. this this period of time. And sort of the, the rise of sort of the supernatural haunted house thing, which kind of started around the time of Paranormal Activity, which would have been before this cutoff. But definitely developed into, you know, your James Wan stuff like Insidious and The Conjuring and, and all of those movies. And then all of those, the ripoffs of those movies. Well, really, um, I think I think that all kind of started with uh, The Ring. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's J-horror and that kind of thing. So that's a, stylistically a little bit different. And, and there's a, a different kind of mythologizing of that sort of thing. But there was an interest in, in supernatural horror kind of there uh but i think you know that specifically rooted in the tropes of like the poltergeist and the shining and and uh amityville horror um like really got big around 2010 2011 2012 Mm -hmm. um yeah 
And so, you know, that's that's definitely an, an element of it, alongside sort of these more heady, artier films uh, that come out, you know, usually around the beginning of the year of, like, the festival season, um, festival horror, if you will. Uh, what, what about you? What do you think when you think of the last 10 years of, of horror? The last 10 years of, the, of horror, I think horror in, like, the early 2000s, I think, was sort mm-hmm. of all over the place. Yeah, um, there was a lot of like a, we talked about like the J horror and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I feel like to me the 2010s are sort of like a return to, uh, like a return to the passion of horror, like mm-hmm. sort of the auteur horror. Um, yeah, and some I, I think it sort of started with smaller indie movies. And but uh, really, I think it's sort of a return to with the rise of Bloomhouse and sort of more organized focus uh, is sort of like a return to like the big budget horror movies, which I, I guess you could make an argument that horror movies have never been big budget, but like but they've been big releases. You know, mm-hmm. um, like the you know, the one of the Friday the Thirteenth movies was what knocked out ET. So, like, sort of a return of that sort of blockbustery horror. Okay, um, I think you have a mix of of that to sort of bring horror back into the limelight. Like, I there's not a lot of genre movies being made right now outside of horror that are like you know wholly original. Uh, in, in, that get the time of day. Like you don't have a lot of romantic comedies. That uh, genre mm-hmm. has sort of faded by the wayside. You know, right now it's it's the big superhero movies, and yeah. one of the few things that can compete with that is horror. Yeah. Um, and one of the the interesting things about horror is the the franchise horror has sort of died out. So you're getting a lot more of that uh, innovative storytelling now that mm-hmm. we're away from the the sort of 80 slashers, the Freddies and the Jason, that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's it's been sort of a resurgence in like creativity and you're seeing Yeah, the- and it, it seems like actually within this genre like lately, we'll say post saw mm-hmm. um, that originality is sort of uh, expected from the genre like i feel like if you're coming to the table with you know uh conjuring eight or whatever people tend to be less interested in that than something kind of new and fresh and original yeah i mean those movies still do pretty like the nun or whatever is still going to do good numbers but I think that, like, the movies that get hook. buzzed about or talked about for a long time, or that kind of break through, are, like, something that looks like something they haven't seen. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think that's cool. And I also think that you have a generation now of filmmakers who were raised on horror. Um, sure. So you, you really, I think you have people that are a lot more passionate about it like that's i think the thing the movies that i keep coming back to are the are those that were like i can tell that the writer or director or whoever 
was really into this. Uh, well, not only and- just raised on horror, because that, you could say that for a few generations now, but I think that uh, it's raised on horror and also raised on the culture of horror. Like, yeah. th- not only are they, like, you know, seeing the Slumber Party Massacres or whatever it is when they were kids, um, but they're also, like, reading about it in college or, like, doing their, like, theses on it. Yeah. And so well, that, there's, I, like, I this ultra meta kind of, like, contemplation or, or uh, 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 contextualization. I think that that's sort of what I meant. Before when I said like raised on horror is you're right. It's, it's not just raised on horror, but it's also, it's also like finding the things they like about horror and perfecting them. Fine tuning Uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, there's also, you know, there is also a lot of, uh, still a lot of schlock and a lot of, uh, it's also a lot of really small, like indie releases that are all like, digital violence and stuff that are really bad. Um, well, yeah, the exploitation industry is always going to be there. Yeah. Like, so you I, know, I, if, if you want to go to Hollywood and cut your teeth at Asylum Pictures and make Birdemic 5, that's always there to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it would be cool, like, I think we're primed on sort of a resurgence of the slasher, the franchise slasher movies. Um, I think, you know, yeah, we're seeing that I think with like the most recent Halloween, I think is going to mm-hmm. open uh, sort of like the original Halloween did. I think it's going to open the floodgates to like people taking a serious crack at like a new version of, of Freddie and Jason and those type of things. Um, yeah. I, that's with, my without prediction. doing it as a direct remake. Yeah, I think it's going to be like, yeah. okay, everybody knows the story, so what can we do with these characters that's new and interesting? And and I think you're going to see a lot more soft reboots of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of my prediction of what the next decade is going to be. Yeah, I actually think that, that uh, horror, you know, the celebrated horror, the, re- the horror that's written about the most, has kind of been highbrow for a little while now, and I think that we're going to see a resurgence of pop horror. Yeah, totally. Um, in a way that's still kind of smart. Like, I, um, you know, have it on my list. I don't know. I don't think it's going to come up in my in my uh, five that I pick. But uh, a movie like Happy Death Day, which definitely is informed by pop horror. And but is very acutely aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it then. And um, I'll let you start us off. What is your fifth pick? Oh God, this is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, this decade in particular has had some of my favorite horror movies to date. Um, so this is tricky. What do I want to pick? Um, I'm going to go with something that's very on brand for me. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a movie that is sort of the culmination of all those things you were talking about, about being sort of a, a horror students horror movie. Uh-huh. Um, and it's also a horror comedy. I'm talking about uh, cabin in the woods. All right. And this is early um, on in the decade too. Yeah. I it's think almost, it's like, 
I almost kind of consider this uh, a little bit of a transitional from the early 2000s to the late 2000s. Exactly. It, I think it was right on the cusp, like 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, this movie is... This movie's a horror movie, but it's also definitely a comedy. It's it's really funny, um, but it doesn't it doesn't do a disservice to the horror. Like the kills are still brutal. Um, You are invested enough in the characters uh, uh, that when they die, it's still effective. There's still, I think, effective scares, but it's definitely a humor that's tempered with horror. or horror that's tempered with humor. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so I actually, I didn't get to see this in theaters with uh, you guys, uh, but you and um, and former co-host Richard mm-hmm. uh, saw, saw this as a group. Uh, it was like a group of friends. Uh, his wife went. Uh, and and <laughs> you guys actually were hanging out with my wife. I think I was working at the time. Sure. And... She would tell you she doesn't like horror at all because she doesn't like to be scared. She doesn't like that feeling of anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't like it when horror movies like stick with you after. Um, yeah. And so she was like kind of mad that like you guys had all uh, gone to uh, out of town together and we're all like, oh, we want to see Cabin in the Woods. And she was like, I don't want to see it. And then she saw it and she was like, you have to go see it. Like, you'll love it. It's, <laughs> it's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so that, that's a bonus for me is, you know, one that I can watch with my wife is a good one. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's a good, also, in that way, it's kind of a good little gateway horror film because it is funny and yeah. uh, it has like, you know, it has actors that people are somewhat familiar with a lot of television actors and Chris Hemsworth before he was famous. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a uh, uh, directed by Joss Whedon and, uh, uh, written co-written by, by Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard. Yeah, so it's very quippy, very, yeah. uh, very sort of a, a, I think, a continuation of of a conversations Joss Whedon was having with horror with Buffy. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so you know, it, but it's also very much an examination of horror genre and yeah. horror tropes. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole thing is literally the, them falling into tropes as a trap. Uh, yeah. And so I just I think this was like one of the first movies that I saw that was like oh you can do like really clever stuff too with with horror like it doesn't all have to just be you know uh gore I, not one of the first movies but like modern movies that it was very like clever and and a lot of like purposeful symbolism and it's, you know, it's kind of a, a film geeks essay on horror as well as being a horror movie in and of itself. Sure. I would argue that scream was having a lot of those conversations too. Um, that's true. But, yeah, but that's in, a, in a much less uh, fantastical way. Yeah. And I think that sci-fi uh, fantasy element you know, mm-hmm. sort of draws my eye more towards something like Cabin in the Woods than, say, Scream. I love Scream as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they're kind of examining horror from different angles. Uh, it's it's It literally weaponizes tropes, uh, which right. I think is, is pretty fun. Uh, well, yeah, okay. so that's my... Uh, yeah, good. Your... That's a good pick, and definitely that was on my list. Um, 
this is brutal. Trying yeah. to trying to pick something here. I want to make sure that this one gets talked about, and this I think this is sort of like the beginning of the art house horror. Um, or not the you know, there's been arty horror movies forever, but this, as far as like what we kind of like the A24 or Annapurna style horror film that we think about today, I think this is sort of around the the beginning inklings of that. And uh, a movie that really stuck with me, we need to talk about Kevin. Okay. Um, starring uh, Ezra Miller and Tilda Swinton. Did you never see this one? I haven't. Oh, man. Okay. Well, uh, so this is kind of like a postmodern take on something like The Omen. It's like an evil kid movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it kind of uh, takes that idea that it, it, you know, you know what a normal, normally like, you know, the evil kid who's like possessed by Satan or is a child of Satan or something like that. There's just something wrong with them. Um, mm-hmm. And then brings that into a very painful reality of like the school shooter thing. Right. Oh, okay. And it uh, plays around with that, tilting into the horror movie tropes of of that but also kind of like pulling you away from the trope or pulling you far enough away from the trope um to examine it on a more like sociological level because they also talk about i mean as much as it is about kevin um it is as much about tilda swinton's character who plays his mother and the the movie is um, really, really concerned with mother-son relationships and how that develops. And there is an, a pretty decent argument to be made of like a, a nature versus nurture when it comes to those type of horrific things that happen in society and, um, you know, whose fault is it really? Uh, so it's really, really intelligent. Uh, it's really, really well directed by Lynn Ramsey. Um, she, you know, she uses color a lot in the film as like signifiers and, uh, uh, the character work and the acting by, you know, Ezra and Tilda is just like second to second to none. And also, um, John C. Riley, who plays a father, he's kind of a smaller role in the film because it's mostly about the mother son relationship. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, incredibly effective, very disturbing and, um, it leaves you with a lot to think about and, a, a, you know, a, a platform for just incredible performances. I, yeah, I remember when that movie came out. Um, mm-hmm. Too scary for me. I didn't want to see it. <laughs> you should check it out. It's very, very good. All right. Um, God, what's my next one? Okay. I'm just, I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to get this one out of the way. Uh, uh-huh. Like what I did there. Uh, I did. Of course, if you didn't figure it out by that, I'm I'm going to pick Get Out as my number four. Um, I think that uh, this movie has... Uh, it, it opened up this insanely promising uh, next chapter in Jordan Peele's career. He's mm-hmm. went from like one of the best people in sketch comedy to now like the top of the list for people you want involved with your horror project. Yeah. Which I, I think is really interesting. Um, it also, uh, 
I mean, this movie was is is this movie was huge when it came out, and mm-hmm. it's also I think really it's really uh, commercially appealing, but mm-hmm. without skipping on being really intelligent and and having really of the moment thematic context, um, mm-hmm. which I mean that's. That's one of my favorite things in in horror movies is the way that horror movies can use theme uh, to talk about things that are currently happening. I think it's a lot more effective than most genres as far as that goes. And when we reviewed this for the podcast, I think you said that this is sort of the first post-Trump movie. And I, I think that's incredibly, still incredibly relevant it's also, you know, I think worth noting there's not a lot of A-list black directors, let alone A-list black horror directors, which I think sheds a really cool uh, visibility on the genre that has, you know, kind of been exploited in the past, um, but is now, I think, set up to to do some very new, interesting horror stories that from a perspective that we might not have uh, seen as much. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, the kind of the idea of the intersectional horror film uh, was sort of brought to light there. And uh, having difficult uh, conversations about race in the film, because one of the things I like about it and what what easily could have just been you know, you know the concept of like, uh, uh, look who's coming to dinner. But you know the families are psycho killers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it, it very easily could have been like a southern toothless redneck uh, stereotype totally. kind of thing that they do. But you know instead it's like town and country, like upper class, upper class rich liberals. Yeah. And I think that's important is is rich liberals like you, yeah. you know you ha- there are some movies that point the finger at you know like the 1% and the 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 super rich in sure. this you get the feeling that they're you know they are super rich but it it doesn't feel like it's only commenting on that aspect of it it's not just about their wealth it's also about how because you know because of their race, they're set up to to have these this sort of society. Like it's it, privilege. It's, uh, it's a conversation about privilege. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. You know, and it's it's an it's an uncomfortable conversation that a lot of people even today um, have a hard time talking about because they don't they don't want to implicate themselves in white supremacy that's systemic, not uh, you know. All white supremacy is uh, KKK with a hood on, burning down your neighbor's house. Like that's the most obvious form of it. But there mm. is a systemic white supremacy that we all take part in, and that we are impl- uh, implicated in by you know just the sheer way that society is set up. And I do think that class has a lot to do with that as well. But um, I think you know the the, the conversation that um, he's having about about how cultural appropriation works and mm-hmm. and I'm sure as a comedian working in Hollywood he was in some very weird meetings where you know rich white 
executive guy is trying to relate to him on some weird level and doesn't realize how racist he's being in the in the process. Totally. Um, and I guarantee that's what uh, sprung uh, some of the ideas for this film. But yeah, I think Get Out is inc- is incredibly intelligent and, um, and also, also has a lot of fun in the genre stuff. Like exactly. It is a, like if you the- like Stepford Wives or you like Rosemary's Baby and that kind of stuff, there's a that's all in there too. It's very Sydney literate. And and that's that's the other thing. Like you know, we're talking about a lot of really heavy themes. Uh, yeah. But again, it's packaged in like one of the most commercially viable scripts. Like it's really funny. Yeah. It's very it, accessible. It moves really well. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. it's paced super well. So it's just yeah. And and for a debut uh, feature length film, like man, what a what a start. All right. All right. Tough to follow. Okay. What's my next pick going to be? Um, let's talk about, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this one. I think we should talk about the conjuring. Um, okay. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I I haven't seen, so I think it's kind of cool to hate the conjuring now because there has, it has been sort of sequeled to death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, or they've sort of attempted this Conjuring cinematic universe, which is kind of cringy, but, you know, it is what it is. And so it's easy to take that movie for granted now. Uh, and it's certainly tropey. If you've seen uh, any Haunted House film that came out before it, it is like jumping from trope to trope. It is gleefully doing so. Um, it is kind of loosely related to the world of Amityville Horror because... Uh, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are featured prominently in the film, um, had a lot to do with uh, the popularization of the Amityville mystery that then became a movie as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of The Shining. There's a lot of The Exorcist. There's, you know, uh, it it's taking in uh, the greatest hits from supernatural horror. But doing so very, very effectively. And when I said people sort of take it for granted now, that movie's scary. Like, that movie's just straight up scary. And I talk about horror films in a lot of different respects because I think there's a lot of different ways to enjoy them. Unfortunately, I think most modern audiences, they really are only gauging on something on whether or not it scared them or whether or not they jumped in their seat. And mm. I think there's lots of ways to enjoy horror. You can be a you know, an intellectual experience. It can be a really fun sort of popcorn experience where you just sort of go for a ride. And then there's films like this that are just like, can you put yourself through the ringer for two hours? And, and I think that this one is really good at doing that. Like just building the tension. James Wan is such a great visual director and he knows, he knows very instinctually how to scare an audience. And yeah, there's jump scares, those are in there, but I I think that he he does um, a lot with atmosphere, and that really pays off those jump scares, and and helps you helps the film earn them, and and he's concerned with his actors. There's a lot of great performances in here. Vera Famiga and Patrick Wilson as Ed and Lorraine are uh, very very entertaining to watch and and easy to fo- um to follow as protagonists are easy to root for. And as well as, uh, uh, the actors who play the family, um, who I can't Ron Livingston plays a dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's 
a really effective horror film. And sometimes I talk about horror in terms of like, you know, if we're just talking about purely on a did it scare you or did it not scare you kind of thing. I, I, I often refer to it in sort of like in terms of like spicy food. Um, and this is a, this is a spicy dish. Like this, um, you're, it, the, it lingers or it did for me anyway. And I know, you know, being scared by a movie is a super subjective thing, but I think this one is just very effective. The haunted house film and really shows you why the genre still works. And I think that, uh, James Wan is just a very, very talented technical filmmaker and he knows how to milk a scare and, I think for that alone, The Conjuring, of all of those sort of like Bloomhouse-y um, poltergeist ripoffs that have been big for the last few years, I think it is the gold standard of it. All right. I mean, also, like, you know, I think it's worth noting that 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 movie, you know, ha- has, like you said, it's try- they've tried to spin it off into like a whole thing like a whole Mm. uh you know there have been like what three or four conjuring movies plus uh spinoff titles like yeah you know i think that's worth mentioning yeah um uh cool uh i haven't that's another one i haven't seen so uh oh god okay um i'm gonna go with uh, one that really scared me now too um (sighs) There's a couple I'm like, oh, I want that to make my list, but Uh I don't don't know. Um, I'm going to go with the movie that sort of made me realize, like, oh, I think I've said this about every fucking horror movie I've mentioned. Um, But it it sort of, this was the movie that I sort of was like, oh, I do like horror. It, like, really reminded me of that. Like, to me, this is sort of a, a... uh, high water moment, a moment of, I'll just say it. Uh, I'm talking about it follows. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. T- so this movie to me was like the moment I can point to watching movies and being, uh, and, and realizing that the horror auteur was back in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to me this is sort of a watershed moment of modern horror of like i think this movie is really understated uh uh again a lot of heavy thematic content a lot of symbology here Mm -hmm. um uh, a lot of referring to horrors past and and tropes past and and uh the, the idea of the you know sort of morality um, mm-hmm. But this approaches it from a different way. Uh, this approaches it from a, a, a empathetic lens. Mm-hmm. And also the director does a lot of really cool stuff to purposely take you out of the movie. There's a lot of like cool um, uh, like anachronistic set pieces. And, right. And, yeah. And uh, stuff that just helps to build this atmosphere of wrongness. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just very purposely building this sort of uh, alternate dimension world without yeah. being all sci-fi and weird about it. It's just like little things, like um, you know, telephones that don't quite 
add up to the date that we're in or, or cars mm-hmm. that are just like a few years past to create this really weird sense of place. Um, but still do it in a very specific intentional way. Like it still very much feels like, you know, a suburban, uh, household under assault, but it does it from a way of like making you realize that that sort of suburban fantasy life is exactly that a fantasy and mm-hmm. it it doesn't quite add up in your brain correctly. And there's a lot of cool subtext too, uh, uh, and a lot of stuff that's scary that's not discussed in the script. Um, right, like the way the the creature sort of inhabits different bodies, it, it, and like what the specific body is and the specific scene says a lot that you have to look into like it's there aren't a lot of uh obvious answers mm-hmm. but it's also still tells a really compelling story in a very simple way yeah yeah no uh, it follows is great and i think you know it's very emblematic of this sort of uh indie horror that yeah it, and in a way that i feel is still very accessible and sort of a pop way um, I mean, it seems to be uh, directly commenting on like the, the teen sex thrillers of the of the uh, '80s, mm-hmm. um, and sort of the babysitter horror movies, and talking about the sexual politics of those movies that are you know pretty regressive at the time. Um, and uh, I think that the movie is definitely discussing that. Uh, in a, in very interesting ways, and I think the fact that it's it you know it could it's a movie that sort of plays out like a slasher film, but there is a, this sort of nebulous supernatural element that you know there's no like one like horror character you can make a toy out of mm-hmm. or a, or a Halloween costume of. Well, that I, that's exactly it. Like the yeah <laughs> the all the the creature is like is the entity in, yeah. intentionally ambiguous. Yeah. It can it, come it, in any form. Yeah, all all, it, all you know is that it looks like a person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and and also this movie scared the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> just like the conceit of it, of like, you know, one day this person is going to show up, and you'll know there's something wrong with them, and no mm-hmm. one else can see them. And it will kill you. Like, it's just, like, really yeah. scary. <laughs> and there's yeah. there's some really good scare scenes in this that d- that doesn't rely on a lot of jump scares, but only but mostly relies on uh, creating this sense of dread and this mm-hmm. uh, sense of inevitability. Yes. Um, and David Robert Mitchell, who wrote and directed it, uh, I think that he, like, he does a really cool stuff with the camera mm-hmm. and i think that he there's a lot of subjective camera work in the movie i mean the movie's like heavily influenced by uh early uh, um john carpenter yeah uh, even though that's Cynthia probably another reason everything. i like it yeah it has this very kind of like simplistic and and clear-cut uh editing but also like the very deliberate camera choices and that kind of stuff and putting you in the subjective camera in a really intelligent ways. Um, and also, also you were talking about a- the, the world building, uh, the fact that it takes place in like a dilapidated Detroit is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, what it might be sort of going on about there. Um, 
but yeah, I I mean this movie's brilliant. Also, uh, shout out to this movie for having a, a really uh, incredible score. Um, mm-hmm. Again, hearkening back to the the John Carpenter, you know his sort of synthy. Um, synth-driven stuff. Uh, it, yeah. it has such a good fucking score. Like, I'll I'll just listen to this soundtrack come Halloween time because mm-hmm. it's so like, like it, it delivers on sort of the same promise of like the the Stranger Things, kitschy nostalgia meets sort of modern pop sensibility. Like, it mm-hmm. it's a really cool soundtrack. All right. Okay, uh, where now? Let's see. You have you're on number three, right? Yep. Let's talk about your next. Oh, interesting! I did not see this one coming from your list, and I am excited by it. <laughs> uh, so you know, we we talked about all the sort of like different kind of things that are happening in horror in the last ten years, and I think that there's a small little group of filmmakers, um, Adam Wingard, Ty West, uh. And uh, even even uh, Joe Swanberg, who kind of comes more for the mumblecore world, um, has sort of like rubbed elbows with these guys. And it is kind of like adjacent to mumblecore. It's kind of mumble horror, if you will. Um, and I like a lot of the films that these guys have made. And of course, uh, the, the two VHS films that have come out. Or now I think there's three, but you know, the the, the um, anthology films that they put out. And it's just a cool little collective of uh, genre filmmakers that, that are working here. And I think Your Next is the best film to come from them. Well, I like House of the Devil a lot, too, by Ty West. But Adam Wingard's Your Next uh, is is a very uh, cool little throwback to the Home Invader-style horror film. And it has a, has a cool look, has an interesting concept. It is also kind of funny when it wants to be, but very brutal. I think it, it plays around with that idea that everybody has when they're watching one of these style of horror films is what would you do in that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, kind of plays out sort of a, a horror movie power fantasy in an interesting way. Yeah, totally. Uh, I actually have seen this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I loved this movie. I thought it was great. It's it's a lot of fun um, because it, again, it is sort of has some pretty you know uh, poppy dialogue and stuff, and some yeah, some interesting fun performances. Ca- yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and it also has some brutal fucking violence um yeah stuff that the mpa would not have liked back in the 80s um and i just think like this is sort of the uh it is a uh like you said sort of mumblecore but it it's sort of a slicked up version of yeah like a home invasion meets uh, you know, like slasher Jason type of movie, like mm-hmm. you know, and you do have horror iconography, which I like. You know, with these cool animal masks. Um, yeah, and- it, it created like an instant like uh, uh, visual sensibility. Yeah, and I I love that. That is one of my favorite things when horror movies can do that when they have like yeah. A, you know, visual language that you're just like, oh, I immediately 
know what's happening here just from mm-hmm. seeing the fucking scary masks. Um, it also has like a weird connection to me to that Batman, the animated series episode. <laughs> um, but I, I think all, the best thing about this movie is that this plays with the final girl trope in yes. great ways. Like, you know, it, it takes that idea of the last girl sort of lucking out and makes her a badass fucking survivor and really liked the, to see that trope uh, played with. It was, that was, a, a, mm-hmm. I, I think, a really smart move. Okay. Uh, now, my question is, do I go with what I think is actually my number one? Or do I save it because I think you might have it on your list? Well, I got a lot of movies on my list, so. I know. Uh, just, I am, just go with your heart. Yeah, I'm going to go with one that I, I feel like has to, like you said, I, these have all been kind of me going with my heart. Um, mm-hmm. This movie was just from like, uh, I think it was from last year, maybe the year before. I want for my number two to be Annihilation. Okay, yes. Uh, I fucking loved this movie. Uh, I feel like cosmic horror is one of the hardest types of horror to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to do it in a way that respects the genre and, uh, and to bring new ideas to the table uh, is even better. Th- this movie is so visually stunning it does it it, visually it's almost uh the opposite of what you would expect from a horror movie it's very bright and colorful um Mm -hmm. it it has some kind of of rainbow prism effect yeah it has some of the most uh just as far as visual language goes has some of the most horrifyingly beautiful images you'll ever see in a movie mm-hmm. beautifully grotesque is the only, like just some of the the shots of like the the things that they came up like the the uh uh what's the term i'm looking for set design mm-hmm. um is so insanely alien I, it it blows my mind just even thinking about some of the the things you see in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and just again that idea of, of alienness and cosmic horror. I to me this is what I think realistically. Uh, if there is like an encounter with alien life, I think this is movie gets the closest to what that would actually be like. Like yeah. it, it would probably be so terrifying. And your mind, I don't think could, I don't think our minds could grasp it. And mm. that's exactly what this movie does. It, 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 and just like, this movie didn't scare me. So if you, I, I mean, there's a couple scare, like sort of jump scare moments, but this movie left me feeling the most existential dread I think I've ever <laughs> felt in a movie. Like yeah. I just came out of it and felt like, weird (laughs) yeah but i loved that i love that it made me just feel like these complex emotions of uh uh, that uh, of questioning my place in the universe that i didn't know a movie could make me feel it just like it kind (laughs) of fucked me up um 
but it also does it in a way that is is so again just so gorgeously well done uh, it, it, i think it shares that sense of sort of dread that it follows had and just sort of uh-huh. sense of wrongness and like this isn't this feels like the real world but this isn't right <laughs> right um yeah i just i love this movie so much yeah yeah no i i i agree i i like this one a lot too and i'm glad that you picked it i i really like the um um you know the cast is really interesting and and i yeah, I mean, I think the set design is sort of the star of the film because it is just so bizarre. Yeah. And it's so imaginative. And that's what I think uh, makes it stand out is because it is trying a type of horror that we don't see that often. I think, you know, the the really Scott Alien movies are like kind of in this territory, but this is kind of takes it even further. Um, totally. And, and I think it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum of alien where alien is claustrophobic and dark and you don't know what's lurking in the shadows this is literally opposite it's open it's colorful it's bright uh uh but it's i think sort of the same this the opposite side of the same coin like Mm -hmm. it it is there's also kind of a literary aspect of it i know it's based on a book or a series of books but i you know just the way that the movie unfolds or the the the, Mm -hmm. the way that the story unfolds the the journey that the protagonist goes through the sort of themes of like death and deterioration that are that repeat throughout the film and and sort of like you know death creates life and these kind of like larger discussions it's um yeah, there's something about it that kind of unfolds like a good book. Yeah, well, I, I read the And book, you really feel uh, like you've lived in it for a while. Also kind of reminds me, like, sort of in general of the, uh, uh, you know, maybe it has something to do with the fact that it's like in, like, Florida, you know, and they're sort of, like, in these swampy areas and stuff. But it kind of has, like, those, um, that genre of, like, the uh, Amazonian yeah, like the river sort of, horror. Yeah. Um, yeah, like uh, land that time forgot kind of vibe. Yeah, like the like not as exploitative, obviously, and much better made, but like sort of the 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 sort of cannibal holocaust, uh, piranha, the jungle like, adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah that's that's a good point. And it's funny that you mentioned the book. Uh, I actually read the book, and I I didn't care for it. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I I it, the plot differs a lot. I mean, the same basic ideas there. But I think that the seeing this unfold visually did a lot more for me than uh, sort of imagining it um, mm-hmm. from the book. And, and, you know, I did see the movie before I read the book. But usually, usually when I do that, I appreciate both. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I uh, vastly prefer the movie. You know, structurally, now that I'm thinking about it, I think the movie that it's probably the most similar to is um, not a horror film uh, or even a supernatural film, but uh, uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's very uh, – There, I can see a lot of comparison to that. Yeah, um, especially how by the end of the movie, it's not even about what it's about anymore. Yeah, y- yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, I just love this movie and – um, you know, I am a sucker for the sci-fi horror, and I think mm-hmm. this movie does it in a way that I've seen few directors achieve. Alex Garland. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So we did that one, and let's see, where do I want to go next? We both have 
I have two left. You have one left. Mm-hmm. Can I do a tie? No. No, we'll we'll have our honorable mentions. <laughs> we'll have our honorable mentions. Yeah. Okay. I'll just I'll just talk about it. Hereditary. Okay. Again, a kind of more recent one, and we've talked a lot about this film on this podcast. I think over the years, um, it is definitely on the record over the fans. year. <laughs> over, yeah, how long has it been? Um, it's been like a year and a half. I a think a year and a half. Uh, this is another one that I think is really intelligent, very well made, very artfully made. Is having you know a lot of thematic uh, uh, discussions throughout the film about family and grief and um, and uh, you know a culture of abuse and the cycles of abuse and all of that stuff. But it's also fucking scary. Yeah, um, yeah. This and movie freaked not me holding out. back. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it, it it it's within the realm of supernatural, but there's also you know very visceral horror in the movie as well. Mm. And what I like about this director Ari Aster, and you know the two films that he's made, or the the two horror films he's made because he's done some shorts and stuff, but the two horror films that he's made that I've seen is he is not he he like lulls you into a sense of security where. You feel like, oh, okay, so this is, you know, he'll put you in sort of this traditional uh, coverage of, like, how you would shoot, like, a family drama. And, you know, there's these scenes, of these very real scenes of, you know, uh, conversation set pieces between you know, Tony Collette and, you know, the actor who plays his, her son and that kind of stuff. And he gets you that way. And then when it gets into the horror stuff, he fucking goes for it. And he he goes right up to crossing a line of what you would find acceptable to see in a movie like this. And not only does he cross that line, he like makes you kind of deal with it for a while. And so it's almost like he's less interested in like scaring you and is more interested in traumatizing you. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, and it's a movie about trauma. trauma, So like, yeah, he wants you to he wants to make you feel what these characters are going through. Mm-hmm. It's his movies yeah. are mean and unflinching and unforgiving and uh they just he just does not give a fuck. And so for that I really really appreciate it. And on top of it he's just he's a really really smart filmmaker and a yeah. really effective filmmaker. And again, it's tropey, you know, you can you can definitely see a lot of Rosemary's Baby in this movie or a lot of like uh these like hidden cult films or whatever. And uh there's even like shades of the exorcist in here, especially the mother-daughter stuff, but uh he's updating all that stuff in a in a way that's very unique to his sensibility. Yeah, uh totally. I'm glad you picked this one uh because I again, I I loved this movie and <laughs> I want to watch it with my wife, but I I know it's going to scare the shit out of her. <laughs> and I'm also like, I don't know if like if I'm you ready to see that it to her? again. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. because like there are still things that I see when I like look into the corner of a dark bedroom. You know what I right. mean? Like, right. uh, this movie, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, is that all we have to say about Hereditary? I still haven't seen Midsommar, by the way. I wanted to see it. I still and you should. You know that it's that. This is that's the one where I I wanted to do it as a tie almost because I really fucking like that movie. But it's I'm it's still so new to me that that I need to. I feel like I need a little bit of space from it before I can be totally objective with it. But I, um, 
in a way to me, Midsummer is like the the negative of Hereditary. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, oh God, yeah. I just I want to watch it so bad, and I missed it both times it was in theaters. It's on Blu-ray. <sighs> is it? Yeah, just came out. Oh shit! All right. Well, I wanted to see it in theaters. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't think I can wait for a screening though. Um. Okay. Uh. So my number one. Uh. And I'm going all the way back to uh to our cutoff 2010. Uh, to the Black Swan, uh, by Darren. Was that 2010 or 2009? 2010. I just IMD beat it, motherfucker. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, I think that I probably only didn't talk about that because I thought it was earlier. But go ahead. Yeah. Another Natty Poe pick for you. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, no, this movie is. Uh, I mean, it's so good. It's so well done. Um. Mm -hmm. It, I I think this is Darren Ar- probably Darren Aronofsky's best. Um, didn't this win an Oscar? Uh, Natalie Portman won for Best Actress, um, and it was up for Best Picture. Okay, yeah. I so th- I and I think that's why this one's on my list. Is it's it's like it's a return to like the prestige horror film, mm-hmm. um, which you know I how often do horror films make it all the way to and and I don't think the Oscars are necessarily like the standard we should be setting movies to because there's so many shitty politics involved. Right. Um but this movie is is exactly what its namesake uh sets it up to be. It's a, it's a beautiful ballet. Mm-hmm. Uh it, it's a horror interpretation of the Black Swan story. Um mm-hmm. and it's just and it's it's one of those movies that tricks you too like i sort of forget it's a horror movie um because it you know it can you could just describe it as uh, a drama um but i think there's enough sort of fantastical scares in it yeah um, uh, another movie that i think just leaves you feeling sort of weird and, and icky <laughs> i'm gonna pose this question to you okay why are we so afraid of female sexuality that like every good horror movie is about female sexuality. <laughs> well, you know that that's a that's more than a you know question. That's an essay. Like I'm sure <laughs> yeah. of which many have been written, um, and in which you could cite this film heavily. Yes, yes, and, and I think yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on there uh, about you know sort of because the character is sort of like this innocent virginal person and then you know the dark side of her the black swan is this sort of fear of her own lust yeah and all of that stuff is really good this to me i mean it is a darren aronofsky film um through and through and one of the better ones that he does um and i think it's actually really indicative of sort of like or very predictive rather of this decade in horror and sort of exactly. this, like coming from a different perspective or seeing horror and then sort of flipping it on the head or, or subverting it. Um, <clears throat> because he made this movie and sort of presented it as like a festival favorite, prestige film, Oscar ready kind of thing. And I think everybody sort of like was a little nervous to describe it as a horror film for a long time because mm-hmm. of that. And I, and I think that there was all this like, oh, some psychological drama, thriller, blah, 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 sort of trying to like, like 
patted down or, or, or yeah, uh, all those words that sort of soft edge into the the right horror or try to sell I, horror to non horror audiences. I hate I hate th- I hate the term thriller for genre pictures. I'm like it's it's horror. Like th- yes, it's a thriller. Thriller mm-hmm. is a type of horror. Sure. Um, yeah. Exactly. And and I, that's. Exactly but I think why that I, the uh, the film is. Um, directly referencing horror all over the place. And I think the biggest reference is uh, the films of Dario Argento. Um, and I think, you know, specifically uh, a film like Suspiria or Opera. Mm. Um, and the thing that Argento was really good at that, at, that uh, uh, Darren Aronofsky does in a very different way um, is he brings the operatic to the genre and the film, you know, winds up and goes through these like these big uh, movements that sort of, uh, you know, ratchet up with the music and the music becomes a narrative aspect of the film rather than just kind of sitting on top of it or behind it. Um, the music is directly affecting the scene and what Darren Aronofsky does really well um, in his best movies is he's really, really good at ratcheting up tension and um, putting you through a state, you know, like he's really good at twisting the screws on the audience. Yeah. And this movie is an exercise in that. And I think it is un, um, it is uh, absolutely a horror film in that way. Uh, and totally. yeah, I, th- I think one of his best. And that, and what you said about it being sort of indicative of the decade to come was exactly yeah. why I was saving this for my number one, because sure. uh, I, I think it, sort of an uh captures a lot a lot of the movies that we've talked about owe a lot to this movie yeah or this this movie opened the doors in a way for horror of a of a different type to be considered yeah all right um my number one i've been saving this one um so i knew what it was gonna be but uh it's the witch um <laughs> i i knew <laughs> I knew you were going to pick The Witch, and yeah. I had a pretty good feeling you were going to pick Hereditary, which was why I didn't... I Part of me wanted to pick them to see you scramble, yeah. um, but I also like had these other ones that I wanted to talk about, so I was like, yeah, For you sure. can have them. Okay, yeah. Um, so The Witch, to me, is... Uh, is You know, we've talked a lot about sort of the indie horror, the art house horror, and I think this is, this is truly that, in a way that, um, you know... The word art house gets thrown around far too much. Um, you know, nowadays, if it's just some indie film that has Christian Wig in it, they call it art house. Um, mm. And to me, art house refers to the art films made from Europe in the 60s. And I think The Witch is uh, very much rooted in that. Um, specifically, the, the, you know, the films of Ingmar Bergman. And I think that it, it is uniquely bleak and hopeless and dark in a way that, you know, Bergman films were. And it's also um, a film all about uh, the questioning of faith and what is, what is faith, uh, you know, historically what is faith meant and how has it helped or hurt society? And when is it a healthy or unhealthy thing to question one's faith? Um, and I think that that, uh, you know, on a thematic level, that's all very, very interesting. The movie's beautifully shot. And, you know, this kind of charcoal black, uh, inky quality to the, to the cinematography. But yeah, but they find a lot of depth in those blackness. Yes. There's, 
it it doesn't it's not dark like an 80s Jason movie or no. or or Halloween movie there there's so much tone within that darkness yeah. that it, it it's almost black and white it, yeah there's, a, there's it's very desaturated but it also not in a lazy sort of way it, it it's no. it's it's very concerned with the cinematography and uh, the period detail is you know almost is exacting like he, i know he almost went into this film like a historian like he went through like even the lines of the dialogue uh that he yeah. used in the film he he got from uh actual records of of exorcism and possession from from this period that's one of that's the one of the things that definitely stands out to me about this movie is the language of it is mm-hmm. so off-putting but in the best way <laughs> it's, yes. it's it's almost like when i uh watch like a shakespeare production right sure like at first i'm like listening to it going what the fuck are they trying to say <laughs> and then like there's a period of adjustment where i have to adjust to understand like the meaning you know behind what they're saying which yeah, you have to tune your ear to it a little bit yeah but I, but yeah. i liked that about it like it really uh throws you into that period in, in but a within way that-, that it doesn't feel like a stage production you know, no, no, or, no, or it not doesn't at all. feel like uh, you know community theater doing the crucible. Um, no, no, I, I was just uh, referencing like specifically the language, right, uh, or, and sort of the deliberateness of the language. Um, but on top of that, but it feels like within that these are very sincere emotional performances, totally. uh, and you one hundred percent believe all the characters and what they're going through. And you know, there's this kind of uh, this hinting at sort of like you know different members of this family that's being terrorized in the woods. Um, that they all sort of represent, uh, you know, one of the seven deadly sins, which goes along with the sort of um, faith discussion that the movie's having and the sort of this um, American, you know, uniquely American fear of sin. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, there's something very mythological about it, like very, um, like... Well, it's a, it's a fable. I mean, yeah, isn't it's, it, it's a campfire story almost. Well, d- isn't the title even like... The Witch in New England folk folk tale. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And I I mean, I love folklore. Like, I love the history behind it. And to see something sort of acted out as both based on folklore and establishing like a folk tale of its own. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I love about it. Yes. And there is enough wiggle room in there where there's multiple interpretations of, you know, the supernatural elements or whether they are or are not happening or or whatever. And I think all all those interpretations are equally interesting and at the same time equally irrelevant. Because I think, you know, however it plays out on screen, the movie's much more concerned with the themes than it is with the literal horror elements. Of the movie, but I don't. Totally. I don't think that this is a boring movie. Um, some people might, and some people have argued that, but I think that this is. Uh, it's so hopeless and bleak, and and, and I'll dense. say it again: black metal as fuck. Uh, that I that I uh, I just really super responded to this movie, and I cannot wait to see the Lighthouse and other films from this director. Yeah, I'm. I'm so pumped for the lighthouse. I saw the trailer and I was just like all fucking in. Like, <laughs> yeah. if I had been playing a poker game, I would have just like pushed all my chips, <laughs> all on the, the chips table. in I was on like, that. This looks insane. 
Uh, cool. Yeah. I mean, again, I knew you were going to pick that one, mm-hmm. um, but it, I, it definitely deserves to be on this list. Like it, uh, it is so ambitious in its weirdness uh-huh. and, and, and how off putting it is on paper. Like, you know, I almost feel like he had to just to, to like get producers on. He just had to be like, just trust me. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have a very specific vision I'm going for. Right. And he's much more interested in the folkloric elements than like, yeah, I just wanted to like freak people out, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So let's talk a little bit uh, before we get into talking about The Cell, um, about the films that didn't make it on our list. And we, we can go through these really quick, but um, I'll let you start. What what did you not get to talk about? Are we going to go back and forth, or should I just list them off? I'll just list them off. Uh, okay. Um, ones I wanted to talk about, uh, but I felt like we're covered in just sort of different ways through the sure. movies that I might have, I don't know, I guess responded to better. Um, uh, I had the Babadook. Um, okay, and that one was a uh, that one was hard to sort of not mention for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really like the experimentation we've seen with sort of the horror comedy in mm-hmm. this decade. Um, so like uh the other two movies in the Cornetto trilogy. Um, uh, like I think Hot Fuzz and World's End could both be described as uh, horror comedies sure um uh and attack the block uh, mm-hmm. oh sort of attack this. the block so good and it's not it's on my list so good and yeah. i think that's a great that creature feature criminally underrated yeah um i might watch uh, that again this month yeah you should i'm i kind of want to too like it's, it's been a while since i've even thought about it goonies uh meets alien like it's yeah so good um Oh, uh, I it was you know I also wanted to talk about us, which you can mm-hmm. you know go back and listen to our review to hear me gush over that some more. But I felt like Get Out deserved to be on the list because you know as a as a sure it's it's the bigger cultural moment for sure. But I think us, I think we're gonna think about that movie a lot, and I think that in the next next ten years or so, uh, people will just start to unravel what's really going on in that movie. Totally. And also, shout out to it for having the um, scariest maze at Hollywood Horror Nights this year. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, and uh, we just saw it Ready or Not really stuck to my guts mm-hmm. in a good way. Oh, a Quiet Place um, yep. uh, is another good one. And uh, Mandy. Oh, I fucking loved Mandy. I was very um, surprised you didn't bring that up, actually. I, I, I wanted to, but again, I just think that I think it's a little more niche, um, mm-hmm. and so I don't think it necessarily does as much for the genre, which might be like a pretentious way of looking at it. Um, but that's why it didn't make my list. You know, I just I feel like not enough people saw it. Yeah, it, it, and time and will tell. Kind of on that one, it's still a pretty new movie. Um, I think that it def it's a, it's a it is a cult film to the bone. Exactly, and yeah. so that's why it. Just barely missed the cut, but uh, but goddamn, that's such mm. a fun movie. All right, um, my list is is vast. Uh, okay, and I'll run through these pretty quick. Um, uh, Julia de Kernow's Raw, the uh, Danish film that I uh, it was pretty high on my my uh, end of the year list uh, yeah, a couple remember. years ago or last year. Um, 
really disgusting, but also really interesting sort of a movie about female sexuality. Um, the Babadook as well. Um, I put it on there because of its cultural relevance, but it's a film that's never really done that much for me personally, especially given that It Follows and some of these other ones came out almost around the same time. Exactly. And for me, it was just so much better. That, um, that's exact. Those are the exact reasons that like, I think it's good, but it's, it's just not as good. Right. I mean, it's, it's definitely worth seeing and I, I, there's some cool stuff in it. I just kind of don't get why that's the one that so many people attach to, but I think it's um, just because it has a, a quirky name. <laughs> uh, yeah, helps. The marketing it, it, helps. And it's also one of those things where there's an iconography to it. Like, you know, exactly. there is a, a Halloween costume in the movie. Um, okay. Uh, a little known cannibal film called we are what we are, which, uh, left me feeling ill when I was done watching it, but it's good. Uh, Midsummer, which I, which I mentioned, I really wanted to, to use as a tie, but might still be a little new on that one. Same with us. Um, a quiet place I have on my list as well. Uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, which, ah, it's so good. And it's so disturbing, but it's also might just be a, a shy, too subtle to totally call horror. Um, but it is right up to that line. Uh, don't breathe which is a really fun uh, reverse home invasion movie um, and really well-directed. The Neon Demon, which is just, like, batshit crazy and is, uh, you know, I think it's Nicholas Winding Refn making, uh, you know, a a campy horror classic in a way that he doesn't even know he's doing. (laughs) Um, Mandy, kind of in the same vein, actually. (laughs) Both of those movies. You could do a double feature with the Neon Demon and Mandy and it would be totally appropriate. (laughs) <laughs> um, Under the Skin, which is maybe just a hair too sci-fi to call horror, but I really, really like that movie a lot, and it's really uh, stark and visually weird and kind of Kubrickian in its coldness. Um, Baskin, which is uh, a fun take on like sort of a uh, oh, European yeah. extreme horror. Um, that's the one that I made you watch some last year for Horrortober. Yep, yep. Uh, it. Which uh, there's a lot of problems with those with both of those movies, I think. But I I think you can't deny the culture moment, yeah. um, at least right now. Uh, I don't know how well it holds up ten years from now, but uh, you know, it's definitely a big booster for the genre. Um, the first VHS, which is I think is one of the better like horror anthologies in a while. Uh, the Ritual, um, a really fun um, pagan horror. Ready or Not's on my list as well. Um, the uh, Korean film, I Saw the Devil, which, uh, yeah, maybe more of like a police procedural, but it is like super violent and fucked the fuck up. <laughs> um, I'm, I, how many more do you have? I'm going to give you like two more. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just have a few more. Happy Death Day, which, I, which I've mentioned before is a, a fun like spin on the 80s uh, babysitter stuff. Okay, no more descriptions on each one. Just rattle them off. <laughs> the Babysitter, Green Room, and Darren Aronofsky's Mother, which um, I didn't love. In fact, I maybe didn't even really like it, but it has had this weird um, uh, cultural marriage with the horror online horror community that I didn't know it was going to have. Interesting. All right, cool. Let's uh, finish this up. I told you we were going to be 
plenty long on this. I know. Um, uh, we're almost at two hours. Do you want to save our Netflix homework, or do you want to just try to get through it? I think we can we can rattle this off pretty fast. Okay. All right. Let's talk about uh, The Cell. And uh, this is the Netflix homework that you assigned me last week. And mm-hmm. why don't you go ahead and describe to me what happens in The Cell? Uh, I love the description of the cell because it's so of the era that it's in. Um, Is this the IMDb <laughs> description or what? Uh, no, I'm just like s- sort of summarizing what the plot is. Sure. Uh, es- essentially, it's about a serial killer who uh, is is collecting victims mm-hmm. um, and has some kind of a rare seizure that leaves him comatose mm-hmm. as he's captured. Uh, so they have to hook him up to this experimental technology uh, th- that they have developed in the science labs that allows people to go into people's minds in- to interact with them to try and uh, reveal the location of his last victim. Right. Um, so the the serial killer is played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, Jennifer Lopez plays the psychologist scientist who has to break into his brain mm-hmm. um, to to find the location of his uh, final victim, uh, who's in a death a saw like death trap. Um, they only have like forty eight hours to save her life before they know she's for sure dead. A lot of moving uh, and, parts in this plot. Yeah. Yeah, and on top of all that is Vince Vaughn playing sort of the lead FBI agent, um, who's sort of like behind this marriage of science and law enforcement. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. There's a lot of moving parts, a <laughs> lot of uh, really high sci-fi meets procedural in sort of a dumbed down way um yeah that just it i mean this movie uh i was actually a little surprised that it came out in 2000 because i i if i had to guess i would have guessed it came out in 1998 yeah Um, i mean other than the special effects and stuff like that which are are of its time um yeah yeah, actually i know what you mean that could you know that's a place to get into this movie is uh the visual effects hold up yeah. Uh, there's a couple like kind of iffy CGI moments, but for the most part, the visual uh, stuff going on in this movie, especially, I mean, at least the dream sequences, the the real world stuff is pretty, you know, by the numbers, uh, police procedural kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, you go, you come to the cell for the nightmare dreamscapes. Yes. And, I mean, th- as far as that goes, this movie fucking delivers. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is uh, directed by Tarsem Singh. Um, he is a he came from the world of music videos. Yeah, I, I, before you even said it, I knew. Like, this movie shot like a fucking music video. Uh, people might be most familiar with his video for R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Especially uh, the final he, sequence, yeah. I, I'm guessing he's done some, uh, uh, at least one Nine Inch Nails video, right? Um, I actually don't think so, but he is definitely part of the like world, like Mark Romanek and and those guys. Um, and uh, I believe uh, David Fincher produced his second film, The Fall. 
So, you know, there's that, that little club there of the, the MTV guys who became directors. Um, and he would later go on to do, uh, Mirror Mirror and, uh, the, uh, uh, not the Invincibles. What was it called? The kind of like 300 ripoff. The, oh, I don't know. But anyway, so Tarsum is a very visual dude and he, uh, clearly was most interested in the dreamscapes of the movie. And, and so was I. <laughs> and so is the entire audience. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, you know, I, I think I saw this or kind of saw this or saw parts of it or whatever when I was younger, but not enough to like really have an opinion about it. And I remember it, you know, kind of being freaky and like not like knowing how to deal with it emotionally, but also um, uh, not really having that sort of context for it. Um, but uh, it now having seen it, yes, it is. It's clearly still like part of that lineage of the post uh, Silence of the Lambs movies. Of the 90s, uh, you know, some are better than others. You had, sh- like, shitty ones like Copycat with Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> and then you you had, like, pretty good ones, like Seven. Um, and this is kind of somewhere in the middle there. Uh, and I think the the tech element that ends up in the movie is very indicative of, like, the post-Matrix kind yeah, of thing. And totally. um, This is such a product of... Of exactly the, uh, when it was made. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... It's 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 because it, it's a part of that like there was a lot of films like in the early two thousands that were like uh, technology based or like internet based or like we didn't really know like how fast tech was going to evolve or where it was going to go or how invasive it would be and so this like reinterest in cyberpunk themes were like coming up in in weird ways and in weird places and in weird genres um, and th- this is definitely one of those. Uh, uh, Strange Days comes to mind as well. I don't know if you've seen that one, the Catherine Bigelow thing from uh, no. 1996 or so. Um, this is kind of in that world. But uh, yeah, what I think was kind of a bummer about this movie for me is all the police procedural stuff, all the like post uh, Silence of the Lamb stuff is like not really working. Uh, yeah. And, I, and I'm well- not at all interested in in uh Vince Vaughn's character and his journey in the movie and i think that the movie it's is so, kind of like it's so over the top oh yeah it's like it's like it's trying to outdo like everything it's like what is like the most sadistic character we can create yeah, like he literally to the point where his like above it, them and like yeah, yeah it, and he it, drowns them and then like makes them pale so they look like dolls it's like all very very airport fiction yeah, um, and it's it's so on the nose too. Yeah, like the, it's like, and only Vincent even- D'Onofrio can like be cast as a character that's written so unrealistically because he's such a ham that he he's like, sure, I'll do it. Well, I okay, so <laughs> uh, yes, it, the on on the page it's so over the top, but I do like Vincent D'Onofrio in this movie. I, no, he's actually decent, and he, I'm very hot and cold on him. Like sometimes I fucking hate him um <laughs> but in this he, he kind of works for the material and he's used to good effect um and and actually you know jennifer lopez as the uh the science lady or i guess our sort of our clarice starling in this film is good um mm, she's she doesn't get I, a ton to do but I, I think that's more of a script problem than a performance problem i am actually going to uh argue with you there a little bit um i she was one of my big 
uh, uh, jeers of this movie. Hmm. Um, and maybe it's we're c- just because we're coming off of such a, a good performance of from Hustlers. Well, yeah, it doesn't hold up to that at all. But it's I thought she was so boring and uh, you're I mean, yes, the the script is not doing her any favors, mm-hmm. but she's so mousy and soft spoken that it's she I think she almost runs a danger of uh, she's sort of a Mary Sue in that they want her to be so purely good and and like you know, main charactery that it's just she completely and and she doesn't have yeah, the I would see her as in, less of a Mary Sue because the Mary Sue means that the you're making your female character so badass that they can accomplish whatever they want in this case I'd say she's more of a a Dickensian cipher where they're just so nondescript that you're that you can project yourself into the character I, I um, guess yeah but it's just she's so and she doesn't have the the charisma as an actress at this point to to sell it. And and yeah, again, I, I mean, I've seen her in good performances from this era. She this is right off the coattails of out of out of sight, which she was really good in. So I think she's capable of it. I but I do think that the you know Tarsum is much more interested in what he's doing visually than he is with doing with his actors. Totally. Um, and 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 I think we have sort of the same. I mean, at least you have a Vince Vaughn that gives a damn. Um, yeah, I mean, he's bringing... Vin- well, here's here's my issue with the Vince Vaughn aspect of it, though. Oh, um, he's so unnecessary to the Yeah, the, I think this movie actually, and this might sound hyperbolic, but I think this movie, had it been done correctly, and had it been done... Hadn't been so tied to the, like, airport fiction uh, uh, thriller world, um, mm. had it kind of fucked all that off and focus entirely on the aspect of like this psychologist on going this- into the serial killer's brain and we had been in that world for the majority of the movie or all of the movie i think this actually could have like revolutionized uh surrealism and horror in a big way totally. but because like, that, the that- movie's kind of herky-jerky back and forth and doesn't it doesn't really have the confidence it in its sci-fi it. quote yeah tropes, it, th- that's what that's what sort of frustrates me about this movie. Not sort of. It completely frustrated me about this movie is yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. It's just that the movie has to hold your fucking hand to get to it. Yeah. And it's like we we don't need that. I don't need this explanation about this weird sci-fi dream machine that <laughs> you know they're losing funding on or whatever the fuck right I, like i don't need any of that i don't need like can't we just you know this is movies this is a world of make-believe can it just be in a world where that works <laughs> like where we just you know but it i think part of the problem comes is that they were really trying to to sell this movie, to, to push it yeah. to a mass audience. And it's it's an art film uh, that is stuck in the body of... A very airport. conventional thriller. Yeah and, yeah, and that's what's frustrating, is if you could just watch like a supercut of all the stuff inside Vincent D'Onofrio's head... I think that would just be a better movie. I mean... No, you know, absolutely. It's a short, I mean, it's a short film, but... 
Yeah, and I think that and that's what I mean. I think if the movie had like on a script level had like realized where the juice is and and had focused like just totally like I don't know. You could probably do something with the procedural stuff, but like put that on the back burner of the story and really focus in on the the surreal element of it because this is exactly very high quality surrealism and I think that the I you know, as far as movies about people in people's heads, you know, and we could talk about Dreamscape from the eighties with uh, de- with Dennis Quaid, or we could talk about um, the Matrix, or we could talk about Inception. I this interpretation of it and like what he brings visually might be my favorite of like the way something looks in somebody's head, especially a serial killer. And there's totally. some kind of on the nose stuff with like her talking to his inner child and that kind of stuff. But it but, all kind of plays also the, the way the logic works of like nothing is is really connected to anything. You're literally just moving through symbology yeah. uh, as set design is really cool. No, I agree with you. Like if this had just had a better movie around it, like yeah. <laughs> we don't need the whole, we've got to save the girl, uh, uh, you know, in 48 hours or she'll drown stuff. Yeah. The ticking time bomb like aspect of like, it. W- if this was just a movie, about a psychologist going into a serial killer's head. Like, isn't that enough? Like, that's pretty fucking compelling right there. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're, they want, they're, they need, they felt that they needed some sort of conceit as a reason why she's in there. Um, and so, but, but, and also, but, but like, but it's clear s- that there's like the, we gotta find Catherine echoes from Silence of the Lambs in here. Yeah. No, I know. And, and, but that's, the, that's where this movie makes its mistakes is. And, right. And, you know, you have the really annoying thing of like Vince Vaughn having to go in to save her. Like it, it, yeah. it was so telegraphed. Yeah. That if it, like, you know, I think that's one of, uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago is my Consumo Bay mind hunter. You know, it's, it's about them studying the criminology to help understand, to prevent, future murders and and to to help you know like uh profile these people like that that could have been the conceit is it's just like this is a sci-fi next step of criminal profiling Mm -hmm. right and you could go into multiple serial killers heads even or or, and see like you know what fuck that i'm just gonna write this movie (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, i think it's different enough no uh yeah i i agree with you completely like the dream, the nightmarish dreamscape stuff is really cool and visually really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything around the movie falls apart, I think, under the it's just least that pesky plot scrutiny. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I and the, where where I kind of fall on this as far as if I'm recommending it or not, I don't think it's a very good movie, uh, and I it's not super engaging. But I think on a visual level alone, I recommend watching this because it is so unique and so weird. And, and, and uh, so the costumes and the sets and, uh, yeah, the visual direction of the movie is so, so spot on that it, it's worth seeing just on that level. But like, um, exactly. This movie is not deserving of awards, but no. it is deserving of awards. Like <laughs> the, uh, uh, the costume design alone and this set to yeah, I like it absolutely deserves uh, recognition for that. And uh, and also like the dream like quality kind of reminded me of another uh, Netflix homework we had a, a while ago with um 
the tale of tales. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like the this sort of like hyper hyperized fantasy world. Like yeah. I think if they had leaned more into that and got rid of the sci-fi crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, cool. So that's that. And next week for the Netflix homework, I'm going to have us watch the uh, the little Mark Duplass horror film that came out a few years ago called Creep. Never saw it. Heard good things about it. I know that I think there's two of them now, but we're just going to be doing the first one. Um, and if anybody has anything to say about all the things we talked about in this episode, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com or you can also find us on our social medias at uh at mcguffin pod on twitter and instagram and uh facebook.com slash mcguffin pod um you can read uh my writing that i do weekly for the idaho state journal at idahostatejournal.com uh, over in the arts and entertainment section and you can also find the rss feed and some of the articles i've written for the mcguffin over at mcguff uh, in slash author slash cassidy uh where you also find um these episodes so uh, Keith, what is your stuff? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Um, and uh, check out my website, www.keithfosterkid.com. Um, I'm about to update that pretty soon. So uh, just keep an eye out for that. Pretty much it. Uh, also, uh, remember to rate and review us uh, Review us on iTunes. Did you already say all this? No, kind of. T- I kind of tuned out for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, remember to give us a five star review on iTunes, um, and please, if you like the show, give us a retweet, give us some some likes, um, follow us on Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, it really helps helps us out. Uh, try to to expand our audience. Yes, and uh, yeah, be sure to check out uh, those happy places with Allison Buddy and uh, Rogue Fun, a Star Wars podcast, and. Um, if they ever decide to make another episode, uh, Patrick and Dennis over at Almost Educational. Naughty little worm.